Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday. I'm your host. And today I'm very pleased to welcome our guest, very special guest, Jason Bradshaw. Hello, Jason. Hi, Nina. It's great to be with you today. <laughs> great. Thank you. I've got my nice hot cup of coffee here. And uh, but I did want to mention that you're a director of customer experience at Volkswagen Group Australia. So that makes you able to talk to the whole topic of customer service versus customer experience. And what I liked in your book, you talked a little bit about in the 90s, it was all about customer service. Then it evolved into customer experience. And then there's also the evolution into employee experience. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to touch on both those areas today. Can you, in a nutshell, describe the difference between customer service and customer experience? So customer service simply is the transaction of serving a customer. A customer experience is the memory that we create through various touch points. That's a very nice definition because it's how the, the client perceives you when they think about that experience. In, in fact, there's that old saying, people don't remember the price they pay, they remember the experience that they had. And sometimes, because I, I deliver customer service training from time to time, Sometimes uh, we have to acknowledge that if people want superior customer service, you can't have the best service at the cheapest price necessarily because there's time and effort uh, involved in that. 86% of the community will pay more for a better experience. People don't necessarily want the cheapest product. They want the best mix of price, performance, and value. And that leads to an experience that drives uh, loyalty. And, you know, at every at every price point, you need to deliver an experience. You know, people choose to fly Jetstar over driving somewhere. They choose Jetstar, Jetstar over Tiger Airways when it was operating, right? The mm. price points were similar, but the experience and how they made people feel in that journey was completely different and so you know at every price point there's an experience you're delivering and you need to decide as as business leaders do you want to be famous for the experience you deliver and your consistency of that delivery or do you just want to play a price war game and see who can get to the bottom of the price ladder fastest and hopefully stay profitable yes well it's in your book, you talk about uh, three little threads. You talk about personalizing the customer experience, uh, feeling appreciated, and um, uh, tapping into employees' untapped potential. Why don't we talk about the personalization of the customer experience? Have you got any tips or hacks that any manager can inspire their team to uh, start doing? Look, I think it's about creating systems and processes that enable the individual to actually focus on who they're serving as opposed to focusing on the process or the system. So a, a great example, I, I worked for Telstra for many years. And when I was at Telstra, when I one of my roles was in a part of the organization called the Customer Experience Center. And when I started in that organization uh, within Telstra, we had a process to serve customers who had a delayed product a delayed phone connection. And there was 180 steps in the process. Mm. 
And as an employee, you would get audited on your compliance at 180 steps. So if you were, if I was having a conversation with you, Nina, I'd be thinking about, oh, have I done step two? Do I need to go to step three? Nina would just be the person at the end of the phone. But over a number of years, we actually took that 180 steps down to around 35 steps, which were the critical steps to make sure that there was an outcome that was positive for the customer. And what that enabled was for me to actually engage with you, the customer, in a conversation to understand your needs and your, importantly, to listen out for your unstated desires and for me, as my the number one thing I would say to any leader out there is create systems and processes that actually enable the team member to focus on the customer as opposed to the system. And so what I'm hearing from that is it was important to simplify the process because if there were 180 steps, uh, start, uh, team members weren't given permission to do it uh, to to relax and have a conversation with mm-hmm. customers. They had to do it as quickly as possible and get through it. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So your, your caseload would be high. You would still have to do all 180 steps. Your job performance would be based on how well you did those 180 steps. Yeah, you know, it just. It was set up with great intent. I want to make that really clear. There was great intent behind every one of those steps, but it just didn't lead to a consistent, and that's important, consistent delivery of an experience for customers that was worthy of of a reputation, worthy of a great company like Telstra. You know, there's an organization in America called Allstate Insurance, and they launched a chatbot. Now, chatbots aren't anything new. I am famous for sitting on a stage and being the only person in a panel to say chatbots aren't the the panacea of customer service or customer experience. Uh, Nothing like being the odd man out on stage, but uh, Allstate Insurance launched a chatbot, but they didn't launch that chatbot for customers. They launched it for their employees in their call centres, in their contact centres. So when a customer rang up and they didn't know the answer, they could use the chatbot to get a consistently correct answer to deliver back to the customer. Now, that meant that the employee could focus on the customer as opposed to, oh, my oh my gosh, you know, policy number 756, what, what are the rules behind that? They could literally just use the chatbot as a really advanced knowledge-based system to help them to service the customer faster, but importantly, with the correct information. And they actually realized that that led to two things. First, it delivered a greater experience for customers because customers were getting the correct answer the first time more often. So phenomenal, you know, the number of calls that were reduced into their contact centers because customers weren't ringing back saying, I got told this, but I think it's wrong and and what have you. And then the employee experience uh, actually went up as well because employees felt that they were more successful because they weren't dealing with irate customers who had been told the wrong thing from the person genuinely trying to do the best thing that they could in the first instance. Well, that's very interesting, Jason, because what I'm hearing is that employee experience and customer customer experience are really two sides of the same coin. And if you make it easier for your team member to deliver that uh, uh, positive experience, it's going to be good for, uh, you know, team member retention. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I I fundamentally believe that all of us, whether we're a customer or a team member, measure our experience across three different lenses. The first one being success, the second being effort, and the third being a human connection. And as an employee, anything that 
I do that makes me feel successful keeps me more engaged with the organisation, keeps me more committed to the organisation and in turn allows me to deliver a better experience to uh, whoever I'm serving, whether it's an internal customer or an external customer. It comes down to how we frame things. You know, what is our North Star or our guiding mission or purpose for the organisation and using that to make our decisions as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a, a pure balance sheet decision, if that makes sense. And team members, uh, you know, you get two team members, one that's uh, disgruntled with their workplace and one that absolutely feels valued, feels successful. At 4.59 when the phone rings, which one of those is going to answer it and serve the customer? Of course, we all know the answer is the one that's engaged and feels that they're wow. success, successful. Because at 4.59, the one the person that's disengaged, they've already packed up. They're not even hearing the phone because they're in the car park about to hop into the car. That's right. They're already out the door. In terms of uh, team member strengths, some people just are innately good, you know, good have good at interpersonal skills. They're people people. Mm. Um should managers really be recruiting in a customer experience role somebody that has innate good people skills or is it something that they can make sure that they train them up to to just not to follow the uh, the the steps in a robotic way but to give a little of themselves so that they are bringing a little bit of personality to the role so it's like can you is it do you have to really recruit for someone that has people skills? Look, I think the first thing that you need to recruit for is a mirror image of who your customer base is. Who are they going to be serving? You know, if if you're serving uh, you know, uh, predominantly uh, women over the age of 60 and you're employing really bubbly 18-year-old boys, they're not necessarily going to be able to make the same connection with those with that particular customer base than if you have you know a, a different demographic and you know I, I used a, a gender example there more broadly I'd talk about the the what's your community you know I, I can remember at Volkswagen we launched a campaign uh, that was uh, executed in Chinese and the reason we did that here in Australia is because Chinese is the second most spoken language in the country. So we wanted to make sure that we were talking to the wider community, not just the uh, in a more personal way, not in a generic way. But the second part of that was to make sure that our contact centres also had Chinese-speaking uh, individuals employed with them. So if someone rang up and wanted to speak in Chinese, that we could service that, that requirement and create a connection and, and show that we genuinely care and it wasn't just about finding another market that we could penetrate with a message, right? It's a, it, and so I would suggest the very first thing is look at who is the community that you're serving and recruit to mirror that community. So, you know, That's if, fabulous because if, if you're in the United States, it might be Spanish-speaking. Um, in uh, the U UK, it might be, you know, regional uh, uh, areas, dialects. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we forget that so often. We talk about, you know, oh, let's find someone that's really bubbly or people-focused. Well, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, and I'm using this uh, probably in the extreme stereotype way, but if you've got someone that's overly bubbly um, and ex easily excited, they're not going to enjoy their job if the customer that they're serving 
is a scientist or an accountant or an auditor who <laughs> actually doesn't want you know, again, using a stereotype, but they don't necessarily want that level of engagement. They want the facts, they want it to be efficient, and they want to achieve an outcome in a particular style. And so I think it comes down to understanding who your audience is and finding people who naturally can build a rapport with those customs. That's great. You you talk about um, some famous companies and how they are examples of great customer experience. I mean, I think you listed Southwest Airlines, Telstra, Zappos, Warby Parker. Is there any one of those that you want to mention in terms of or give an anecdote about what they did that was absolutely fabulous? Well, the thing that I like about Warby Parker is... Which is the eyewear company. They're they're the eyewear company indeed. And they started as an internet-based eyewear company. And now, like many of these stories, they have bricks and mortar stores as well. But even though that they've had very significant uh, success in the US and, and Canada, they continue to this day to make sure that the onboarding process for their team members is aligned to creating a connection very quickly with the organisation and how the organisation was formed. So in your first uh, first week working at Warby Parker, you'll actually receive a snack box, which is filled with the snacks that the founders used to eat in the wee hours of the morning while they were coding up and developing what we know today as Warby Parker. And the reason they do that is so that that story can be told. You know, know, uh, the founders used to eat this particular nut. It was their favourite nut and it got them through the long nights and the long days. And so instantly you're starting to build with that individual a connection beyond the bricks and mortar, beyond the tasks that they're there to do. You know what, that's a fabulous uh, example, Jason, because a few episodes before this we had Gabriel Dolan, who's a business storytelling expert, saying exactly that, that you've got to have the stories of the origin stories or challenges and use those, especially when you're onboarding new new uh, team members. So um, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm onboarding someone. That's really good. Tell the stories of the origin or the challenges overcome. That's fabulous. And they do some other stuff too. They insist on and pay for new employees to go out for lunch with a tenured employee, again, in the first couple of weeks of being employed. And it's not about creating an artificial connection with a team member. It's about that storytelling again. You know, what was their experience like in the company for however long that they've been there? What are some of their hints on how they, the new employee, the new team member can be successful? Uh, and in addition to that, they give their team members a gift voucher that they can use in any way they like. They can use it to try the product themselves or to give the product to a friend or family member. And again, that comes down to the storytelling. If they get a new pair of sunglasses or eyewear for themselves, they then get to tell their friends and family, oh, look what I got at my new job. Of course, if they give it away to a friend or family member, they've still got that new job story to tell. It's so important around creating that connection with the organisation quickly. Absolutely. Um, We'll we'll be uh, coming to a close shortly, but we've still got a bit of time to talk about you know, the managers that might be listening to this, whether it be experienced or aspiring managers and they to elevate their leadership and uh, transform culture, what are, uh, one or two tips you can give them about what they can do tomorrow to actually raise 
the level of customer experience or cu- or employee e- e- experience. The best thing that they can do is define what their experience promise is and what success looks like. So we may have seen uh, on TV going back 18 months or so now, though, uh, Virgin Australia was running a range of TV ads and it ended with the tagline, that Virgin Australia makes flying joyfully simple. That was essentially their experience promise. That is, if you flew with Virgin, the experience would be joyful and simple compared to their competitors. And if everyone in the organisation was then told, when you're making a decision, ask this question, does it make it joyfully simple for our customers? And if the answer is yes, go ahead and do it. It's the right thing to do. If the answer is no, then stop doing it because it's not living up to our promise. So I would say the first thing you can do is make sure that whatever your promise is, uh, make you know define it, make sure every individual in your team knows, what's, knows it and knows what success looks like and then let them free to achieve it. And what I'm hearing here, Jason, is that there needs to be some sort of uh, values-driven keyword that they can rally behind. An earlier episode was with... Uh, 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 the vice president of Accor about their heartest culture, as mm-hmm. in operating with heart. Mm-hmm. And one of their tenets was whenever you have a team meeting, whether in person or, or virtual, you spend a couple of minutes talking about just chit-chat about what's happening in their lives and then you start with the business. And that's you don't go straight into business. And we had a, a, a couple of episodes before this um, Ultimate Kronos Group, we had the uh, Vice President uh, of uh, Southeast Asia and Latin America with the Managing Director of Australia New Zealand, and Kronos is 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 listed uh, by Forbes as one of the best places to work, and they have all these uh, keyword slogans that the managers live by, and they live, they walk their talk, and they live their values, and that's what gets them into best place to work lists. Absolutely. I think the key there is that they live it themselves. And and an extension to that is a phrase that I love to use, which is the standard you walk past is the standard that you accept. And so as managers, if we expect all of us to, to take pride in our workplace and keep it clean, if I walk past a piece of paper that's been dropped on the ground, then I'm accepting a standard that says that the office doesn't actually have to be that clean. But when I bend down and pick it up and throw it in the bin, I'm reinforcing that requirement that all of us are in it together to keep the office to a certain standard. And I think as leaders, perhaps the most powerful thing that we can do is role model what we ask of our own people. I, I think it's a, it's about showing a, a a human side and an awareness that we are all actually just serving somebody. You know, ultimately, you know, as head of customer for Target, I still had a boss, and that person had a boss. Now the boss might change from from being a you know physical person to shareholders, but you still have a boss. I can remember when I was head of customer at Target, I came up with this crazy idea that we were going to open our call center at midnight to support an online sales event that was going live at midnight. And I made sure that I was in the in the office on the floor when the bell rang at midnight uh, to again to show the team that I was interested in them 
as much as I was interested in doing something new to serve our customers. In in special events like that, you're almost like Braveheart spurring on the soldiers not to give up and surrender, but to actually go full bore and uh, and and throw the, throw themselves into the uh, project. Um, just in closing, Jason, how will people find you? Look, the easiest way to find me is just to head to Google and type in Jason S. Bradshaw. That will connect you with my website, jasonsbradshaw.com. Now, it's really important that they remember the S, S. Jason S. Bradshaw, because if they leave the S out, they'll end up at a very nice website trying to sell them expensive real estate in California. So oh, Jason S. Bradshaw. And we'll have the address in the show notes as well. But it's always nice to hear it in case people are just listening to the audio. Look, Jason, uh, I love the stories that you told us today and also keeping us up to speed with what's happening in the world of customer service and experience and employee engagement and now employee experience. So there's been a shift in both industries. So thank you very much for your time today. And um, until next time, thank you. Thanks very much, Nina. Been great talking to you today. You've been listening to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and we've had Jason S. Bradshaw as our guest today. So thanks again, once again, Jason, all the best. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>